Welcome back to The Daily Poem, which is presented this month by Bibliophiles. I'm David Kern, and today is Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022, 22 Today's poem is by someone I've gotten to know a little bit, uh, a friend of mine, James Matthew Wilson. He's the author of 10 books, including most recently, The Strangeness of the Good, which was published in 2020, and it won the Catholic Media Award in Poetry. He's the Cullen Foundation Chair of English Literature at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, where he directs their MFA program in creative writing, and he serves as poet in residence of the Benedict XVI Institute and as poetry editor of Modern Age magazine. Wilson is a wonderful poet. Um, far lesser known, I think, than he should be. And the poem that I'm going to read today is called Before the Gates. It's a new poem that was published in Forma Journal, which is a journal that um, I've had the opportunity to work on. So um, this, this issue is going out. It's at the printer now. So this is kind of a preview of that issue. And this is one of my favorite poems he's written, actually. I've shared a couple of his poems here on the podcast over the years, but I wanted to share this one. Um, I'm not going to say too much about it. It's a little bit longer than most poems that we share on the show, so I, I don't have a lot of time to, to get too deep into it. Um, and I think I'd like to read it twice, um, so I probably will forego most of my further comments. And so I'll get right into it. So here is James Matthew Wilson's Before the Gates. When I first opened Homer, there was no comparison of Greek and English, no discovery of some wild diction freed of pert chiasmus and antithesis. No, there was awe. Like everyone, I saw the rattling grandeur of Achilles, thews straining beneath the plating of his armor. He shook his spear and pounded on his shield, its hollowed underside reverberating a deep and plangent summoning of doom. And so it's always been. I was not one who, having seen a conversation through, would smirk and with a knowing eye conclude upon some pithy phrase from Cicero. If I had ever met with one who could, I would have asked him to repeat the line as if I had misheard a word or two before I realized what I'd just confessed. Nor was I one of those who, having made acquaintance with the greats just well enough to take a first and get oneself a place, retained a sense of individual pride by reading some gay minor novelist whose every purple passage is a romp of flashy irony and knowingness, as if one's bookshelf could beget a scandal. Oh, no, I didn't even know it all existed would have smiled a nervous smile, confused to learn about these carryings on. What's more, the ease some had with it would shame. That half-remembered lines, arcane and old, could summon up a whole pericope, but once studied, yes, but now to be assumed and treated as a password at the gate. Reception's not the same as gratitude. And gratitude it was when I first read the barbarism in those staggering lines, the poets calling out some cosmic order when all seemed but a hodgepodge strip of road. Whole lives are makeshift, huts of tin and shingle. Whole worlds are dust bowls or unplanted wastes. Who knew that time was measured out in verse, or that amid our daily squalor glory could rise to blazing immortality? When one has even a taste of something grand, it's like the faithful poet who would follow his master down into the bowels of hell. It's like the man who went and bought a field, 
It's like the one who had himself remade by speech and gesture and by tailored suits. He may pretend possession, but not feel it. And that, in fact, is how it ought to be. He'll watch, admiring, as the laureled shade discourses on the aerial flight of love. He'll see the army swarming like blank ants upon the shore, the pyre already smoking. He'll sit, his lips zipped tight to hear the questions that bring forth certitude from mouths of slaves, and guard, and guard most jealously, each thing he somehow run across, all that was hidden, and rearrange his days as acts of praise. Just reading by the lamplight, he will start to fit what he has learned, and see himself be fitted to it, made its borrowed image. And such brute love, such tension strained between raw admiration and shamed ignorance, is almost certainly the only way a decent soul and city come to be. Mm. Love that. Love that second half of that poem in particular. I mean, I love the whole thing, but boy, I, it really comes to a, to a head, to a crescendo uh, beautifully. Those last three stanzas, when one has even a taste of something grand, is the section that it begins. But man, that, the whole thing is, is so great. I promise I'm not going to say much, but I do want to say that one thing I love about Wilson is that he employs some of the most traditional, formal elements, formal structures, forms, <laughs> so to speak, and does it in a way that when you're reading it, there's a subtlety to it. There's an energy to it. It's not distracting. It fits in so perfectly. It holds shape even if you don't notice it. And then when you want to go back and look at it, you can see how precise that shape holding is being done. So if you've never read much of James Matthew Wilson, I re highly recommend it. Uh, some of his books are from you know slightly smaller presses, but um, he's maybe not in keeping with what is most in fashion, in vogue right now in the world of poetry. But man, the, the man can write, so to speak. So once more, here is Before the Gates by James Matthew Wilson. When I first opened Homer, there was no comparison of Greek and English, no discovery of some wild diction freed of pert chiasmus and antithesis. No, there was awe. Like everyone, I saw the rattling grandeur of Achilles thews straining beneath the plating of his armor. He shook his spear and pounded on his shield, its hollowed underside reverberating a deep and plangent summoning of doom. And so it's always been. I was not one who, having seen a conversation through, would smirk and with a knowing eye conclude upon some pithy phrase from Cicero. If I had ever met with one who could, I would have asked him to repeat the line, as if I had misheard a word or two, before I realized what I just confessed. Nor was I one of those who, having made acquaintance with the greats just well enough to take a first and get oneself a place, retained a sense of individual pride by reading some gay minor novelist whose every purple passage is a romp of flashy irony and knowingness, as if one's bookshelf could beget a scandal. Oh no, I didn't even know it all existed. Would have smiled a nervous smile, confused to learn about these carryings on. What's more, the ease some had with it would shame. That half-remembered lines, arcane and old, could summon up a whole pericope once studied, 
yes, but now to be assumed and treated as a password at the gate. Reception's not the same as gratitude. And gratitude it was when I first read the barbarism in those staggering lines, the poets calling out some cosmic order when all seemed but a hodgepodge strip of road. Whole lives are makeshift, huts of tin and shingle. Whole worlds are dust bowls or unplanted wastes. Who knew that time was measured out in verse, or that amid our daily squalor glory could rise to blazing immortality? When one has even a taste of something grand, it's like the faithful poet who would follow his master down into the bowels of hell. It's like the man who went and bought a field. It's like the one who had himself remade by speech and gesture and by tailored suits. He may pretend possession, but not feel it. And that, in fact, is how it ought to be. He'll watch, admiring as the laureled shade discourses on the arrow flight of love. He'll see the army swarming like black ants upon the shore, the pyre already smoking. He'll sit, his lips zipped tight, to hear the questions that bring forth certitude from mouths of slaves, and guard, and guard most jealously, each thing he somehow run across, all that was hidden, and rearrange his days as acts of praise. Just reading by the lamplight, he will start to fit what he has learned, and see himself be fitted to it, made its borrowed image. And such brute love, such tension strained between raw admiration and shamed ignorance, is almost certainly the only way a decent soul and city come to be. This has been The Daily Poem, which is brought to you this month by Bibliophiles. Post-production is by Logan Green. I'm David Kern, and thanks so much for listening. Be back with another poem for you tomorrow. This episode of The Daily Poem is brought to you by Bibliophiles, a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network where the Andrews family brings the great ideas of Western literature to bear on the life, art, and culture of our modern world. Look for Bibliophiles, that's Bibliophiles with an F, wherever you get your podcasts, or find curriculum materials, online classes, and book clubs at centerforlit.com.